please stand, open your Bibles for the reading of God's word from the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, by the Holy Spirit, um, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves, kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threat and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word in all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that they had any things that belonged to him, said <laughs> that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening, church. Um, so we actually are going to be stopping at verse 31. We called an audible, and uh, so that never got communicated. Britton, excellent, thank you. Um, all that to say, we will be covering 23 to 31 tonight. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited as I was pre prepping for this passage. Uh, I think it has a unique component in that um, we're kind of getting to see behind the scenes look at what the early church was doing. Um, we've been looking at how the Lord's been doing, uh, you know, miraculous works, um, how, they was, how the Lord was adding to their number day in, day out. They were being called to speak in front of religious leaders in pretty, get, pretty prominent places. Um, but we, this passage, we get to see what they were doing behind the scenes. We get to see, you know, kind of what was the early church doing? Were they doing anything behind the scenes that was aiding this evangelistic, this missional outreach that they were seeing? Um, that, you know... It's definitely one of a kind, and um, there's obviously been revival since, but uh, this was clearly a unique time. 
And uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is just what was the church doing? What was Peter, John? This was uh, right after they were released from the Sanhedrin. So um, for any of the one that wasn't with us for the last few weeks, I just want to quickly just restate. So you'll recall Peter and John, um, they healed a lame man. This man had been lame um, for pretty much all his life, 40 years or something, I believe it says. Um, and he was a fixture outside the temple gate, beautiful. And when they healed him, it, this created this, like, set off this chain of events where people were freaking out because for 40 years they had seen this guy posted up begging for alms, and now he's running around, it says, jumping, leaping, praising the Lord. Um, and so that, that obviously created some hysteria and some, some excitement. Um, and then last week we looked at... Um, as Peter and John were preaching shortly thereafter around the temple, they were thrown in prison uh, and then brought out in front of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling Jewish, uh, I guess, the Jew Jewish body, Jewish ruling body, um, of about 70 people. And these guys were pretty powerful. This is the same group of people that essentially stirred up the mob to uh, persuade Pilate to uh, crucify Jesus Christ, so definitely had some power, um, but basically they stood before this Sanhedrin and they proclaimed um, the gospel. They proclaimed about Jesus coming and um, they called out the Sanhedrin for their, um, their killing of the Messiah. So, so that's where we, we find ourselves tonight. Um, basically, it's right after that. They interviewed them and then they were like, okay, well, we can't do anything. The people are out of their mind, excited about these people. We can't, we don't have any power right now, so we're going to release them. But they threatened them and said, speak no more in this name of Jesus. You guys get out of here, but speak no more in this name. And so that's where we pick it up tonight. Um, and what I want to do is I want to just review this passage. And I think there's four things that we can take away as far as that the church was doing. So I want to make four observations of what the early church was doing um, together in their time that they spent together. Um, so let's jump right in. Um, picking up in verse 23. Um, so it says, when they, that's Peter and John, were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So the first thing, pretty simple. In verse 23, I want to observe, is Peter and John, they sought comfort and encouragement in community. So real simple, they sought comfort, encouragement in community. So they went and they shared company with like-minded believers, like-minded family in Christ. They went to those who knew them best, um, those who would speak truth to them, that would encourage them. This was definitely a, a tough time. I mean, there was excitement about what the Lord was doing. But keep in mind, this is, this is the beginning of persecution. They were in jail for a night and then threatened. So it's definitely, there's excitement, but there's uneasiness. And so they go to those that were like-minded. It's interesting, they didn't pull back to, I don't know, like, oh, I just need some alone time. Um, 
but they leaned into the body that was around them. As one who uh, likes my alone time, I find this interesting. And as I was, I was thinking about this, um, there's definitely time for where we need to, you know, have our alone time. We need to, you know, it's good to search the word of God alone sometimes. And um, there's definitely value in reflection and meditation and whatnot. But if we are missing out on this component of fellowship, and I mean true fellowship in community, then we're leaving ourselves open to the devil's working. And um, I think I was talking with some fellow colleagues from church uh, on Friday night, colleagues, brothers and sisters. Um, Yeah, I was talking with them, and we were talking, it's like I believe that isolation can be one of the strongest tools of the devil. Um, and that, that can work any number of ways, but when we're in isolation, we can, um, honestly, there, there's, we can justify anything to ourselves. We can reinforce things that maybe we've believed for a long time, and we're just in a wind tunnel of, or vacuum of our own thoughts, and we can just basically keep believing something that's possibly not true. Um, if we're discouraged, we can just spiral. So there's, there's countless reasons, and the, you know, I, those are several, but God has made us in such a way that we need community. He made us to need one another. Um, and I think in our, um, in our, day and age that we live in America, we definitely are, you know, we value autonomy. And, you know, we'd love to be self-sufficient, not need, not need anyone. But that, that is counter to the gospel. I mean, we need Jesus Christ from day one. Um, and I just want to call that out, just encourage us. Let's be people that order our lives around community. Uh, we are all busy, and it's so easy to um, just, I don't know, push this aside. Because it's not, you know, it's easy to hang out with people, but deep community, deep fellowship, it takes time. It takes investing into brothers and sisters in Christ. It takes time to listen, to be there for people. And, um, and actually, on Thursday night, we're going to talk a little bit more about that just just some practical ways we can make this happen. But just as a final point, I think it takes work to make fellowship, true fellowship, deep fellowship part of your life. But we are called to that as believers. Um, so the second, second point I want to call out is in that same verse. Um, so we read in the second part, they says that they came together, they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So the second thing I want to call out is just how the early church, how Peter and John, how they came together and they shared their story. I know that sounds cliche, they shared the story. But, but what, what were we talking about? They shared what was going on. They shared what the Lord was doing. They just got released from the Sanhedrin, and they came together and they shared. There was, again, there had to be some excitement. Keep in mind, Peter's the dude that, you know, was a coward a few weeks earlier with Jesus. 
like significantly cowardly. And we'll go into that a little bit. I know uh, Nikolai touched on that last week, but he had just stood and he had been faithful to the calling of the Lord. The Lord had just given him opportunity to stand and, um, and, and boldness to stand. And uh, so he came together and he shared. He shared like what the Lord was doing. They were likely exhilarated, again, possibly nervous, but they came together to share what the Lord was doing. Um, and as I, I was thinking about that, I think sometimes we, we can fall into like thinking you have to have something big to share. Because this was a big deal, right? But um, I believe the church, and we, we get this from other parts of scripture, they would share however the Lord is working. And sometimes it was small, sometimes it was big. But the Lord calls us to come together and share what, what he's teaching. It is so encouraging and uplifting when you have a brother or sister come along and share maybe what they're struggling with or where the Lord's leading them. Um, I don't know how many times as, you know, a young parent just like struggling, and I'm like, Ugh, am I the worst parent ever? And then you meet with other parents that are farther along and you find that, oh, wow, okay, so what I'm going through is normal. Good, it's not just me. Um, th that's a small example but on a, such a grander scale, if we share how the Lord is working in our lives, um, big and small, where he's, where he's uh, leading us, where he's convicting us of things, it, it life changes that time together. It turns it into true, deep, rich fellowship. On the, side, on the other side of the question, equation, um, I'd ask you, are you, do you, ask people uh, what the Lord's teaching them or teach Yeah. Do you ask people what, what is the Lord teaching you or what have you been reading in scripture and what's the Lord speaking to you? It's so easy to fall into just uh, chatter about current events and funny things. And, um, and the Lord wants so much more for us. And I, I really think that, um, you know, when someone asks you, uh, like what's the Lord teaching you? A, it gets you thinking, but it's also way easier to share, right? If you're not in the practice of talking about, hey, I'm reading this in the Word, um, it, it makes it easy, just, just asking those questions. And I think for most of us, we desire to have that, that deep fellowship, that deep um, seeing like, yeah, we're part of something. The, the Lord's doing something. The Lord's actually working in our community, working in our lives. So that, that's the second thing I want to just call out. So first, they sought fellowship, comfort, encouragement, and community. Second, they shared their story. Um, let's look down at the text real quick and pick it up at verse 24. And when they had heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, 
both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The third observation here is as they were spending this time together, they recounted the story of God. So they recounted the story of God. They looked at scripture. They reminded themselves of what God was doing. I love this, the the first uh, name they give to God when they're calling out to him. They say, Sovereign Lord. Um, The Ned Bible translates that, Master of all. Do Do we believe that? We believe we worship the master of all. Do we believe that we are serving the God over not just earth, but over everything? All galaxies. There is no... The Bible calls him the king of kings and lord of lords. That means there is no other... No other kings that even compare with him. He, he is the king above them all. He's the Lord, the master over all masters. The early church believed that, especially post-resurrection. The early church really believed that deep down. And it has significant impact on how they lived, how they interacted. Um. So again, as they were sharing God's story, they used scripture. So this, this passage is actually from Psalm 2, which is worth uh, looking up. So let's turn over there real quick, over to Psalm 2. I think we get it up. Yeah. All right, so um, I'm going to just read this whole uh, psalm. It's a pretty short, short one. Um, but... In Acts, they were quoting the first two verses here, so Psalm 2, 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So the psalm, likely written by David, well, yes, it was written by David, um, and it can be attributed to King David partially, but it definitely was absolutely messianic and speaking of the coming Messiah. 
And um, just quickly, I wanted a couple points. It's interesting, the first two verses essentially tell this picture of like all the powers of the earth coming together. And you have like everyone's included here. When we tie it in with Acts, you can see that everyone's included. Jews, Gentiles, the most powerful people in the world, almost like conspiring against God. And when you think about uh, what that, I don't know, I was trying to think of an analogy. It's like almost like some toys, you know, like some toy tanks and maybe some G.I. Joes or something like out in the yard. And they're like moving their tanks around. They're drawing up their battle lines. And it's like, oh, we're, we're, we're going to conspire against God and we're going to throw these bonds off of us. We, we're not going to be like uh, tied down. And meanwhile, logically, you have God up in heaven and he just laughs. Verse 4 says he sits in the heavens and he laughs. Going on, he, he, continues, he basically says, as for me, I've set my king on Zion. And that, what, what's that? That's what we quote every week, right? We quote the Apostles' Creed. He ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Throne of the right hand of God the Father. Yeah, I don't say it every week. Um, from which he will come to judge the living and the dead. So, the, so God, Yahweh says, I've set my son on the throne. This, this battle is over before it even began. I'm, I'm up here laughing at you guys who are conspiring against me. Finally, I just want to call out just in verse 9 to 10, or 9 to 12, we see that Jesus will come, and he is returning. And when he comes back, he's going to execute justice. He's coming with a rod of iron. It's a little graphic. It says it would dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. The point here is, church, we serve the God of the universe. Sometimes I think we forget that. Sometimes we are so timid, so like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but we can be so timid about our faith or so con, uh, timid about standing for what is right. We serve the king of the universe. He holds all all power. It's like we, like back in Acts, the, um, the, the church, they recounted how Pontius Pilate and the Jews, they, they thought they were conspiring against God and like, yeah, we're, we're going to crucify this Jesus fellow. We're going to do away with him once and for all. And Jesus, showing on appearance sake being weak, was in reality working the greatest overthrow ever. He was putting to death, death itself and sin once and for all. In his weakness, he was conquering and it was all part of the plan. It's like, oh, these guys thought they were, oh, we, we're holding all the keys. And meanwhile, it's like, no, false. You're just playing along into God's plan. He had it all figured out. 
And I think we as a church, we need to realize what we're part of. God is doing a huge work and he's inviting and commanding our participation. The battle's won. Most important powers, rulers of earth, all of them are in subjection to God's power. It's all part of God's plan. And that's our God. I think we need to remind each other of this much more often than we do. I was... Um, I was teaching the kids last week, and we did that. Uh, you, I'm sure everyone here has played the game where you put a ton of random objects on a tray, and then you cover it up, and you get to look at it for 30 seconds, and then you cover it back up. It's like write down as many things as you can remember. And I was giving the kids a hard time because they couldn't remember, you know, there's a ton of objects, and there's no way they could remember them all. But the point is, and the point that we were trying to make last week and the point here for today is we need to talk about these things and remind ourselves of these constantly. If we don't, they slip out of our minds and we forget what we're part of. We forget who we're serving. Um, we forget how powerful God is, that he holds all the keys. Uh, the, the Israelites did this all the time. We were told that they set up rock piles and they set up monuments to remember what God had done at certain points along um, in their history. And, you know, we, we also remember them constantly recounting the story of, oh, God separating the water uh, and leading them out of Egypt, passing over them in Egypt, um, calling out Abraham, and so I think we as a church and as individuals need to do this much more often. We need to remind one another what God's done in the past. Like, God has been faithful. Let's not forget. Maybe, maybe we're discouraged. Maybe we're like, you know, freaking out because we've forgotten how God has been faithful in the past. We've forgotten what he's doing this could also be applied to current, current events. We need to remember that God's not surprised by anything going on. It's all been figured out. The Lord has a plan. Jesus is on his throne, ruling and reigning, and he has the time set when he will come back. Final point I want to just make here just is... They did it with God's word. They recounted God's faithfulness in the past with God's word. And I think we should do it with God's word and without God's word. But just pointing out, it's like, how many times have you read a passage a dozen times and then it's preached on or you read it in your, you know, your, your own devotion time and it hits you afresh? The, the reality is God's word is living and breathing and we, it's, it's not going to get old. It always puzzles me when someone's like, yeah, I've studied that passage. As if they, don't, they can't possibly get anything more out of it. That's not the scripture. That may be other books, but that's not God's word. It's living and breathing. And we should constantly be remembering and, and reminding one another of what it says in this book and how God has been faithful. So, number four. Um, 
So the final thing I want to look at, verse 29. Let's look at this real quick. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. So they, they're praying to the Lord. They say, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So this is interesting. They prayed for boldness and courage. That They prayed for boldness and courage. Note they did not pray for God to just stop the persecution or uh, not let it get too bad. Um, but they asked for boldness and courage. They fully assumed, and they kind of say that, you know, verse 30, it's like, why you stretch out your hand? They assumed that God's word was continue, would continue to go forth. They assumed that God was going to continue working. He was working. He's been working from the creation, the start of creation, and he's been working. And they knew that the word would go forth and that he would keep working. But they prayed for courage and boldness to continue to do their part, to play the part that he was asking them to play. They had two options. They could, you know, with this onset of this persecution, we know that if you've read through the book of Acts, we know that from this point forward, it does escalate and it gets worse and worse. Eventually, the Jews, you know, scatter. Um, and the, Jew, the Peter and John, the early church right now, they had a choice. They could, they could basically kind of minimize their, uh, their witness and go undercover, if you will. Um, or they could continue to stand and be faithful and likely would be persecuted. And we know what they chose. But they did not pray for that persecution to stop. The church believed that God would continue his working and they wanted to remain faithful to do that. So, um, real quick, just to wrap this story up, let's look at verse 31. It says, And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Love this. Shocking, but they prayed and the Lord answered. Um, immediately, it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's, again, that's... Um, we, we don't, uh, I, I won't pretend that I know fully, you know, they had the Holy Spirit, but this is a special presence of the Holy Spirit where there was more felt. And then immediately it says they went forth boldly with courage in faithfulness and they continued to speak the word of God, which is exactly what they prayed. And this should be interpreted as a direct, immediate answered prayer. The believers recognized their need and they called to the God of the universe and they received immediate help. Again, sovereign Lord, master of all. Why is it? Okay, do we believe this? I think the answer is yes. Why is it that it is so hard for us to consistently 
plead to the plead our case and our, bring our requests to the Lord. Why is this a discipline that uh, the church, I think for you know, forever, has struggled and you know we have seasons of prayer, like good prayer and good fellowship, and then we have seasons where oh, I'm just too busy. It's like is that insane? Like the God of the universe, the master of all, and we were too busy to make time to talk to him, to plead with him for him to work in our lives, for him to work in our church, for him to work in our families, to give us boldness, faithfulness as he does his work. We have access to the throne of heaven. Let's, let's leverage that a little more. So, um, real quick, just kind of wrapping up this point, turn with me back to uh, Luke chapter 22. Keep in mind, um, Luke, uh, the the Luke that wrote the Apostle of Luke is also, as we've said, but just a reminder, he's the same Luke that wrote the Book of Acts. Sometimes they're actually thought to be um, just one continuous book, but just two separate scrolls. All that to say, um, same author, and there's a connection here that Luke's making, and it's pretty awesome, and I think. It's worth calling out, and uh, I hope it impacts you the way it definitely impacted me. I'm like, wow, this is really powerful. So um, if we look down at Luke verse or chapter 22, verse 40. So this is right after the Last Supper, and um, the disciples with Jesus head to the Mount of Olives, or and uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and um, so they're, they're there, and it says in verse 40, it says, and when he came to that place, that's Jesus, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew, and from, uh, withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And then if you drop down to verse 45, so just a couple verses later. It says, and when he, again, Jesus, when he rose up from prayer, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise up and pray that you may not enter temptation. So we know how this played out. Literally, as Jesus is talking, the mob shows up to arrest him. <laughs> The disciples, you could say, they respond poorly. Um, Peter pulls out a sword, chops the guy's ear off. Jesus patches that back together, and then they flee. And then we know, you know, we know during Jesus' um, trial, you know, Peter's hiding in the shadows, denying, no, I don't know that guy. Um, and then at the crucifixion, likely John was the only disciple there at Jesus' crucifixion. So the disciples, when the rubber met the road and it got tough, 
say they didn't respond well. And Jesus, his direction to them was pray. Pray so you don't fall into temptation. And they didn't pray. Flash forward a couple weeks into Acts 4, and now you have a Peter who, as we looked at last week, boldly proclaimed Jesus in front of Jewish leaders. And then in verse 31, we read that the believers continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So what changed? Like, you have Peter, dude's like a coward, and then four weeks later-ish, um, he's bold. He's speaking to the entire, the entire ruling Jewish leaders, and he's boldly, shamelessly, courageously proclaiming the gospel. Meanwhile, you have the early church, the disciples, they also cowardly. Four weeks later, they are, as it says in verse 31, they are boldly proclaiming the gospel. What changed? Well, three things changed. But um, one, the resurrection happened, right? So they saw the risen Lord. They saw the power. Jesus literally died and came back to life. The second thing is the Holy Spirit fell. We looked at that in Acts 2. So now they had the Holy Spirit with them. But the, the third thing that we don't talk about much is they became a people of prayer. And we've read about that not just in today's passage, but earlier in Acts, it's like, what did, they, what did Jesus sent them to do uh, when, he when he rose into the clouds? He said, uh, go, um, go and wait for the helper and so they went, and we read that they were meeting together, and they were praying, and they were seeking the Lord together regularly, and then the Spirit fell. So prayer, even to these guys, and again, reminding you of Jesus' words, it had power. And here, in Acts 4, we see that they were a prayer for people, and therefore when it came time to be bold, when it came time to stand, they were ready the Lord was doing a work in them, and they actually became what he wanted them to be. So, as we, um, as we come to a close, just a reminder what, what the early church was doing, just these four observations. We see that they, they sought comfort, and they sought encouragement in fellowship and in community. Second, they shared their story. They shared what God was doing in their lives. They asked one another how God is working. The third, they shared God's works. They shared like the, the spectrum of how God is working from eternity past through today and what, he, what we know his promised end is. And finally, they prayed regularly they prayed for boldness they prayed for courage so as i was um pre prepping for this i was thinking to myself um just praying like lord what, what do you have for refuge and, and one thing that kind of i don't know got me thinking and if you will i ask you to think with me i was i was questioning man this early church they were suffering persecution. It was starting. And we, I, I believe, we, we live in a society where we very suffer very little persecution. 
may occasionally, you know, I don't know, miss out on a job uh, promotion or something like that. Or, you know, we, we have some very mild persecution at times, I believe. Um, but for the most part, we don't, we don't suffer persecution. And I think there's probably multiple reasons for that. Part of it is we live in a very, very, very unique time in the history of the world where um, freedom of speech in our culture is highly valued. And, um, and so we've been protected from that. And I, I really think that is a unique time. Um, the Bible's clear. It's, you know, uh, Paul says to Timothy, he says, all who desire to follow, or live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Um, and so I think we do live in a, a unique time. That said, I, I was questioning and I ask you, could it also possibly be that... Um, we're not doing anything worthy of persecution? Could it be that we are just like, so go with the flow, don't rock the boat, don't offend anyone. Like we almost like find our witness, the extent of our witness as long as we don't offend anyone. And so the world, like they almost just don't even care about us. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, You know, whatever, whatever the church does in the, you know, behind the four walls of the church, they're pretty easy going with. Um, but when we get outside the walls, that's where it, it can get dicey. And I look back at this passage in Acts 4, and you have Peter and John, and they were rocking the boat, like, big time. They, they were talking about topics that were offensive to the Sadducees in particular. Um... They healed this guy, which set off this power struggle. The Jews were seeing, like, we are losing control of the people when miracles like this are being done. And then when called on the matter, they, Peter was, I wouldn't say he was gentle to the religious leaders. I mean, he, he was pretty direct that you just assassinated the Messiah. Um, and, and so what's the point? I'm not... Um, What's the point? I'm, I'm not saying that we should be in people's faces trying to be obnoxious or anything like that. Um, I don't think that's what the word teaches. That said, um, I think if we're so concerned with comfort and so concerned with um, just, I don't want to say the easy life, but just getting along with everyone and not rocking the boat, I'm concerned that we are becoming more characterized about what we don't do than what we do do. And we are losing our effectiveness. We are losing our reason for people to persecute us. Because when we do get outside um, the church and say God says, that's, we do start to get some feedback. And we can kind of actually see that with some of the current events going on when the church takes a stand on, on some issues that are controversial in society. For example, uh, transgenderism or something like that. Um, the church typically will get some, get some feedback. So what's my point here? I will bring this to a close. So in Acts, we have people that are coming to Christ in the thousands. 
I think the passage right before this said the, the number reached 5,000. And we're talking, this is a short window of time. But we are not seeing revivals like that. And I'm not saying that we can't, um, that we can like force God's hand and create a revival. But again, we're looking at Acts and it's a bird's eye view of what the early church was doing. The whole book is just like a, you know, telling us what the early church was doing. And a lot of it is not prescriptive. It's not like, you must do this. Uh, it is narrative form. However, personally, do we, do we want to see a revival? If we're not seeing, I guess my point is, if we're not seeing God work in miraculous ways and the ways he was working here, I ask myself, well, am I doing the same things that they're doing? And I ask you, are you doing the same things that the early church was doing? Because personally, I would love to see a revival. Our passage tonight shows us what the church did when faced with the onset of persecution. But we're not really there yet. But they prayed for the word of God to go forth. And so, as it, you know, in summary, I just would say, let's, let's get out there. Let's take some risk. Let's, uh, let's pray for revival. Let's step out in faith. Tell people the awesome works of God. Let's recount to one another what God's working, what the Lord's doing at your workplace, with your hobbies, how the Lord's working through those. We are part of something big. Let's, I think, when we, again, when we share our story, we get encouraged, we get emboldened to speak God's word. There is something really life-giving about stepping out way outside your comfort zone. I was talking with Elijah last weekend, and he was telling me how he likes to take uh, bike rides in Annadale at night. And he likes to rip down hills in the dark. And I was like, yeah, that sounds nuts. And he was like, yeah, it's a little, little scary, but it's really fun. And I'm, I was thinking like about this prepping, and I'm like, isn't that like taking risk when you do something like you're a little scared of? There's something like life-giving about that. Church, let's, let's, uh, let's step out. Let's, let's uh, take some risk here. Um, so as we close, I have some questions, four questions. And I'd ask you each to think in the um, quietness of your heart. Just reflect, ask the Lord where you I don't know, work with, work with the Holy Spirit as far as what you believe as I go through these questions. One, um, do we or do we not serve the sovereign Lord, the master of all, who made heaven and earth and who sits enthroned in heaven to which all other lords, all other masters must yield. Is that true? Secondly, do we have the Holy Spirit living in us? The same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus Christ back from the dead. Is he living in you? Did Jesus raise from the dead and in doing so conquered sin, death, and holds all power. He is superior 
and the ruler of all forces of evil. And then finally, do we or do we not, church, have the words of life? Do we have the good news that can snatch people out of hell? All right, let's, uh, let's pray. I'll the worship team come up. Master of all, we ask that you would do a work in refuge that only you can do. Lord, we are needy and you are rich. We confess that many of us have become expectant of comforts and just avoid discomfort at all costs, Lord. And so, sovereign Lord, we ask you, please fan into flame our love for you, for those around us. Increase our faith, Lord, to believe the words and promises of Scripture. Give us grand vision, Lord. Give us excitement about your workings, what you're doing. And we ask you to work, Lord. Work miracles around us and through us. We ask you to give us vibrant, rich prayer life. Give us deep fellowship. Give us connection to your mission to our part to play in that mission, Lord. Give us heavenly perspective for the world and all that's going on in it. And finally, Lord, we ask, give us boldness and give us courage to step out in faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.